Good morning. We now join a live Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere, Missouri. We'll do that one more time. Good morning. All right. Good noise to hear. I love hearing everyone chatting, getting together. Oh, I'm a little too loud. Turn me down now. I'm popping. Whitney, can you come help me? Is this me? Hold on one second. We'll fix the mic. Every time I, every time I touch it, it pops. How's that sound? Better? We don't have loud popping noise? All right. Thank you so much. Okay, good morning. I know we've done that three times. Three is a good number for us, right? So, anyways, uh, welcome to Bible study here at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in the pair. Obviously to our own members and our guests and visitors here in person, but also online listening at KFUO.org or on the radio at KFUO 850 AM. Glad to have you all together. And even more glad that we get to study God's word together this morning. Let's begin our time with a word of prayer, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, you have blessed us with another new day. A day that we, especially here in our area, get to look around and see your shining sun and the creation all around us. Plenty of ways in which we get to see that your majesty is so great and your love that you've shown through your creation. And now, Lord, we pray that you would bless our time as we gather around your word. Your word which shows us your love, which shows us your peace, shows us comfort that you give to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so now, Lord, may we be blessed in our time to study this word. May we, may we be challenged and may we continue to meditate on this the rest of today and the days to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. It's good to be with you here. Uh, I'm just going to say a disclaimer, an amazing vacation. Thank you all for supporting me to be able to take a vacation, uh, allowing me to, to get away. Got in really late last night, so I'm moving a little slow. Yes, this is me moving slow, okay? But I'm excited to be here, so even if my affect doesn't show it, it very much is true. I'm excited to be here. Let, today, we're going to do as we usually do. We're going to look at our lessons coming up next week in the lectionary. So our Old Testament lesson next week... Uh, during the season again of Pentecost will be Isaiah chapter 66 verses 10 through 14. And I apologize for not mentioning it, but for those here in person, there are Bibles and the handouts of the lessons printed together as usual. Let's go ahead and begin. I will read Isaiah 66 verse 10 through 14. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breasts, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. And the hand of the Lord 
shall be known to his servants, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. Here ends our Old Testament lesson for next week. As we get into Isaiah 66 today, we only have a few verses, about five verses there. Um, a short portion of a much larger book. So as always, let's think about a little bit of the context that we have surrounding our scripture for study. Now I'm just going to say this. The good news is today in this Old Testament, or right now in this Old Testament lesson, we get to really focus on the positive. I think I was able to teach here about two weeks ago, we focused a lot on negative, on how the people were sinning, like right in the face of God and right under his nose. And it was a lot of judgment. We get a lot of joy and rejoicing today. So, but if we look at this, we also have to take into context. Here in Isaiah 66, right here in these verses, is part of the last portion of Isaiah's vision, in which God's judgment is coming. When his judgment comes. Now, yes, his judgment means that there is punishment. When we talk about judgment, you can't talk about judgment without talking about punishment. But especially today, in these few verses, we get to focus on the more positive side of what that judgment means. That judgment for those who are in His name, who have faith in Him, who trust in Him. That judgment that also brings in the good stuff to come. And I can't stand using that word stuff, even though I used it, but it's just everything that's encompassed into that. His judgment that will bring peace and joy and comfort. What it means to be made whole in God is what he's going to bring for his people. And that's just kind of a general overview of what we're going to see in these few verses. So here we have God's judgment is, is declared of how great joy and peace he's bringing. But if we look for a moment, hopefully if you have a paper Bible to look at, because I'm going to go, or just listen, I'm going to go back to 66 verse 5. And listen to Isaiah 66 verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. And so looking back, especially at this verse, we see that prior to our reading for today that we're studying, the people of, of God, the people of Yahweh were being mocked by their enemies. And at the tail end of that verse, it says it will be them, those mockers, who will be put to shame. But there they are. The people of God are being mocked. And yet then we look at what our reading is primarily. That mocking will be gone. And it will all be worth it to be mocked by others. Because look at the great joy and peace and comfort that God has for his people. And that a part of that judgment is bringing that joy and peace and comfort to his people. But also there's the negative side of judgment is putting those mockers to shame. All of that encompassed together and more is what it means that God will bring in his judgment. So a couple more points of overview here. Here in this uh, scripture reading from 10 on through 14, we keep seeing this word Jerusalem, referencing the people of God, the city, the city in which God will bring his great promises, his great joy. And so in this section, we'll see that Jerusalem will know abundance and blessing. We're going to dive into that more, more specifically. But abundance and blessing are going to be key themes in this reading for us. Also, and importantly, God is the source of that abundance and blessing. And then finally, to note that as we get into this, we'll see that the days in which that city was, was stripped and barren in desolation and ruins from exile, those days are gone. And instead, 
There's going to be great, fruitful, abundant, full of blessing days ahead. It's a great contrast that we'll see here. So, let's go back to verse 10 and look at this a little bit more detail. Isaiah 66 verse 10 says, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her and joy, all you who mourn over her. So right here in this verse, we see that those who used to mourn are no longer mourning. Their mourning is turned into joy. Now, as I already mentioned a little bit, and if you know the greater context, you'll know that the mourning was because of the, the such destruction and ruin that had been for the people and for their cities, carried off in exile. And we could get into the whole details of why and how that all happened, but we're not going to do that today. But just to note that there was the great exile, all this destruction and ruin and barrenness. There was a lot to mourn over. I talked in detail, I think, about that two weeks ago when I was here. But there was terrible stuff, terrible, horrible things, reason for the people to mourn. And yet here, now, at the end of this vision, that mourning has turned into joy. And I ask for a second, what is the difference you think between joy and happiness? Anyone have any thoughts on what does it mean to be, or it, maybe you don't think there is a difference. So like there's no difference. Yeah. Joy comes from the spirit of God and happiness is a fleeting momentary thing. Did I sum that up well? Yeah. Review. Any other words, thoughts? I would say, it's, it's also, I would agree with that. That's where I would go with it. That, that joy, true joy, especially when you search the scriptures, true joy doesn't come from anywhere but from God. And we could find happiness. Now, happiness we can receive from God as well. But happiness, you can be happy with things in this world. But to have true joy, that's from God Himself. And I, and I, I don't. Maybe it wasn't here. Anyways. Even in the face of sadness, you can have joy. Even, I, I, would, I would argue to say that even when there are, are things going on around you that are terrible, and there's even crying going on and, and pain and hurt, even in those moments, we can have joy. Those moments are not happy moments at all. Rather sad, and yet, joy in the midst of that sadness. I... I diverge a little bit because this scripture doesn't go on to that too much. But I just, again, want to remind us of this concept of joy. Because it says rejoice with Jerusalem. Rejoice with her in joy. It says it there three times in one short verse. So just to remind ourselves, joy is so important to know that it's rooted in God. Okay, so we go on. And as I said, this, that this joy is, it comes from God, and it's going to come from His power, and He's going to put that joy into their mouths. And so we go on to verse 11. That they may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breasts, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. Okay. So when we look at this, we start to get this, this picture, this metaphor that's described in these few verses. Of, of this, this mother who is nursing her child. That you may nurse and be satisfied from her. That you may drink deeply with delight and glorious abundance. There's no more lacking. As I said before, in, in exile and destruction and ruin, there was plenty to lack. 
People didn't have what they even necessarily wanted, let alone what they need, or didn't have what they needed, let alone what they wanted. There was a lot lacking. They were in destruction. And yet now, in this time, they'll be abundant. And this metaphor used here uh, is, is just so striking. Because especially if you think about it during this, the, the time of exile, it's quite possible that because of the famine and the siege that existed around, um, some commentators discuss how that quite possibly there were mothers who weren't even able to nurse their children. Because they were not well enough nourished to even nourish their children. And... Full admission, obviously I, I can't nurse, but I have no clue what that feels like to be able to care for a child in that way. There's that special bond we know that can happen between a mother and child. And I can't even imagine what it would feel like as a mother to not be able to nurse your own child. And I also recognize that there are women today who choose not to nurse. I don't, don't want to get into whole, that whole issue. But if you look in the context of historically here, that was all that there was. And they're in such famine and destruction that she can't even nurse her child. Think of the pain that she has in her heart that she can't even take care of them. And now contrast it with what God's saying will come. And now, it'll be like you can nurse in abundance, overflowing. Again, this is a metaphor, right? Okay, but the point is, is that now there's abundance. There's no more lack. There's no more of that pain and suffering and wantonness because now it's full of blessing and abundance. And then let's move on. Or oh, I'll hold off on that a second. But the one point I want to mention here, think about is, the, think about the comfort that a child receives from their mother especially as a mother is nursing her young child, that just comforting feeling that exists between mother and child in that close relationship. Okay? Even those of us who haven't had children can still express, because we maybe have been there at one point, because we were all children at some point, or even we can understand that that's a very close bond, and through that bond comes comfort. So just hold on to that comfort for a second, because we'll get to that more in a little bit. So let's go to verse 12 through 13. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. So we can have this metaphor continue, but before we get to more of the metaphor of this, this mother caring for her child, in verse 12 it says, I will extend peace to her like a river. Now, this last week I mentioned I was on vacation. Very blessed to be there. And we, were, we had a great vacation. We went to this um, Tennessee, like Gatlinburg area. And so we are in the Smoky Mountains. Gorgeous. Again, if there's no testament to looking at God's creation, His power, and His love, just go to places like that where you can see the mountains and all this stuff. Anyways, I could digress. But we go there, and multiple times we were there, and we went to the river. And it was interesting because every single, every single day, everyone flocked to the river. Now, we weren't going there to drink it because, you know, it's not safe to drink the river water and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting how even people who aren't drinking the water, even though that used to be the source of, of the water, uh, what everyone needed to drink, we all flocked to it. Think about it. The river is the source of so much. And here, he's describing how his, the, he will extend peace like a river, flowing through, flowing throughout the land, flowing with peace. And again, we hear in Scripture that God talks about peace. He's not just talking about a lack of war. 
I'm actually getting ready to um, give a message at a memorial service for one of our members and their, and their father who passed away. And, and the focus on that meditation is actually going to be this peace. From Philippians chapter 4, when she talks about the peace which passes all understanding. And in, in that message, I want to talk about the fact that even in the midst of sadness, we can have peace. And especially that, that peace that we can have as Christians in this world, even when there is conflict and strife and death still in this world. But even here, God's talking about the future where he'll have peace flowing like a river. That's a beautiful picture. That's a comforting picture Especially to people who have been in such destruction and barrenness before, right? Especially when possibly rivers were dried up or they couldn't find sources of water. Now he's using these metaphors going back and forth between his peace and spiritual and rivers and play between all this, the, the literal and the spiritual at the same time. It's beautiful. And then look at this next, second part of that verse. And the glory of the nations shone like an overflowing stream. Again, this water metaphor, stream... I didn't notice it until now, but you have river and stream. I don't think there's a difference. I think it's just uh, different poetically to use two different uh, synonyms of such. But it, his glory. And again, I want you to think about the term. What does that glory mean? When you think of the glory of God, what does that mean? Any thoughts on what you think? What does it mean to say the glory of God? What is his glory like? What is God's glory? Salvation? Yeah. I just like the fact that you're almost shaking your head because you can't express it, right? We can't even fully express the glory of God, but it's this amazing, majestic, awesome thing. Side note, I said the word awesome. Yes, I am. Looking at someone who's laughing like he's still out of energy. Yes, this is still me low on, an, on energy. The word awesome. I worked in a church uh, on, on Vicarage, and the DCE there could not stand when anyone used the word awesome. Like, hey, I'm going to hang out with my friends. Awesome. Or, hey, we had a great time. Awesome. He couldn't stand it. Because to truly say awesome, in his mind, is to really look at God. What is awesome? What is truly awe-inspiring, full of awe? God. Not the fact like, hey, I got a cool pencil. It lights up and it can write really cool. No, that's not awesome. What is awesome is God. His glory is so awe-inspiring. We continue. Look at this. Now we get back into this metaphor of this mother. You shall nurse, in verse 12, you shall nurse. You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. Now here again, we just have this metaphor taken to another deeper level. of Think about a child. She's nursing her child. She's bouncing him or her on her knee. She's caring for that child. She's loving her child. Carrying him on her hip. She's taking care of that child. Giving the child the mother's love, that true care and that deep um, sense of nurturing and that love that exists in that type of relationship. Okay? And so we go on in verse 13, it says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And in my Bible, I underlined that word comfort because it's used three times in just one very short verse there. Three times we have the word comfort. We've already seen the, the concept of comfort illustrated in the, the preceding verses. It's sometimes even written out at, as the word comfort in the preceding verses. But in verse 13, three times it says comfort. So when we talk about 
God bringing his judgment for his people, those who have his faith, and that judgment that they get to look forward to, not just the punishment side of judgment. But what is judgment for God, those who have faith and trust in him? Comfort. Now here we notice, God kind of then starts to change and show that clearly this is a metaphor. And he says, as one whom his mother comforts you, so I will comfort you. And so it's interesting, in looking through the commentaries, they um, discuss that this is one of the very few places in the Bible in which God is directly compared to a mother. I think even as I began our prayer for our time together today, I started Heavenly Father. Primarily because he shows us himself as the Heavenly Father, but here he's compared to a mother to show the depth of his care and concern for his children. And it also shows that there's this very personal, intimate involvement of a loving, personal God. Now that's not to say that when we talk about him as the Heavenly Father, he can't also be shown as a Heavenly Father who has a caring, loving, intimate, personal relationship with his children. Not at all. But just look at this. Now the breadth of Scripture shows us this other, other metaphors to look at how caring and concerning our God is. That he can be compared in both ways to both a father and a mother. Now, it's, no, it's interesting, though, that they don't actually, it doesn't actually say that um, God here is directly compared to the mother, but rather this, this, com- this judgment, this place in Jerusalem in which will be the nursing mother. So it's not a direct one-to-one, God is a nursing mother, but rather Jerusalem, the place in which God provides, is this nurturing mother, which still shows the care and concern, because here he is, the Heavenly Father, who provides such care and nurture and concern, even though it's Jerusalem is the nursing mother, not God is the nursing mother. Because for that, that might actually, that would actually be then contradictory to say the Heavenly Father and the nursing mother. But the way I lead it up, I lead it up to looking at it that way to see that he has such nurture and care for his, his people, and yet it's the city of Jerusalem, the place, the judgment, that source of comfort, which he provides. Any thoughts or questions on that so far? Especially because, like I said, very few times you see comparison to linking him towards... Yes, Dan. Uh, I have a note here from another podcast. Yeah. That all the verbs are prophetic perfect, which I've never heard before. Which means that when God says, I will, it means it's done. Mm. So that would be another way of comforting. Because, it's, it's, you know, whenever you say, I will, it seems like it's in the future. But when God says, I will, it's already done. Right. I'm just going to repeat a little bit, especially for those listening elsewhere. That Now, does it say exactly which words? I didn't look up all the Hebrew for this. I'll be honest. I didn't translate it. In all these verses? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just mentioning that all these verbs that are used here in this, this portion of Scripture are prophetic perfect, which is to express that it's not only saying that it's going to happen, but it's already been done. That God has... When he says he will do it, he's done it, and he for sure will. Whereas, I think, especially we compare that to the fact that we as humans say, well, I'm going to do this. Oh, do we? Can't, you know, right? But the comparison of, will God do this? Yes, absolutely, he has already, and he will in completion, that such. Paul. Hmm. Has this been fulfilled already, or is it to be in the future? You know, I didn't see any reading on that, specifically. Um, Any other 
or Claire, do you want to chime in? Go ahead. Um, but anyways, uh, I would say it's not already been fulfilled to completion, right? Because the final judgment has not yet come. Uh, now we're in the prophecy of Isaiah. So, I mean, you could see some of it in Christ, right? But then the final to come in the um, eschaton, not, not yet. That would be my best guess on the spot. Admission guess. Yeah. Yeah, complete with remainder, or the whole now, not yet, that it's, it's complete and now in Christ and such, but then in the future it will be fully brought to 100% completion overall creation. Yeah. Good. I, I, I caught that, Jan, okay? You used awesome. I, I get it. I get it. That's good. Okay. Um, one other thing I want to point out on this portion of Scripture. Look at verse 14. What's the first word in verse 14? You. I know it's a simple question, but it's for a reason. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. Takes all this stuff that's been talked about before that makes it so personally concrete. It's not just some abstract thing for people somewhere, it's for you. And, and you can read this. I would encourage you to even read it, especially as we talked about the whole, is it complete? Will it bring full, final completion? That we can see it. Look, read this especially for yourself. That you shall see. This is God speaking. You can read these. I know these are words written through Isaiah a long time ago, but they are words very much for us today. And here it is. God saying, you shall see. Your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. It just shows how personal it is. This isn't some abstract comfort that's just for some kind of people who knows where or what or when. It's an actual thing given the people of God. That's the last point I want to bring up. Any other final questions on this portion of scripture or thoughts before we move on to the epistle? Epistle, I'm really excited about the epistle for next week. Okay, I'm excited about all scripture, but... All right, let's go on to the epistle for next week. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, and then there's a short jump to verses 14 through 18. Read that for us. Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us, now not, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Verse 14. 
But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. All right. There ends our epistle for next week. So it's lengthy in, in some ways, and there's that jump, I just will say, from uh, we skip 11 through 13. Not, I didn't do any research on why, but there's plenty of here, plenty in this reading for us to look at. And in fact, I actually want to spend the majority of our time looking at the first portion of that reading. But here you can see in your subtitles that are in your Bible, again, not scriptural, but based off of what it mostly talks about. It says, bear one another's burdens. Some other Bibles have, ca- have subtitled that mutual helpfulness. So I'll encourage you to think about, before we get into it, what does it mean to be helpful? To your brothers and sisters in Christ. Looking in this passage, what is Paul writing to us that God is is having us to hear to be helpful to our brothers and sisters in Christ? Because he has encouraged them to lead genuinely helpful Christian lives. And the first word there to, to start us off in the tone of what we're looking at here in verse chapter 6, verse 1, is brothers. I know Paul uses this often, but again, there's this very... Um, re- familial, a very close relationship. It's showing that there's compassion and care. It's not some distant relationship. There's actually a relationship here. And one, as we'll get into, that is very much soaked in care and concern for, his, for the brothers. And so, also, we look at verse, we're going to break down verse 1 a lot, okay? Verse 1, brothers, if anyone's, anyone is caught in transgression. That first word there, if, okay? Now, does everyone sin? Yes. <laughs> You're like, okay, you should know that, right? Everyone sins, right? So it's not like Paul's ignoring the fact that people sin. But here, he's not assuming the guilt. We could go on, okay, we sin this many times a day and, and the like. But there are moments where we're not sinning, right? Okay? It's okay to admit that there are times in our lives where we're not just sinning at that moment. Okay? So here Paul goes on to say, if anyone is caught in sin. So he's, admit, he's assuming right off the bat, okay, maybe they're not guilty right now, but it's, if it happens. Okay, so if this situation comes up, if anyone is caught, in his, is caught in transgression, that next word, anyone. Now, does anyone have a different translation? I'm using ESV. Is anyone else using a different translation? Probably the handouts I gave to you that are ESV as well. Okay, if anyone's listening online or the radio, they might be using other. And it uses there either anyone or a man. The point being is that term there is that it's just general to people. Okay, so if anyone or if a man, if anyone were to be caught in transgression, I would all argue we can start to maybe think a believer. Because here Paul's writing to the church. So you have believer. But that'll come out more strongly in another portion of the, the scripture. If anyone is caught stop there you can look at it maybe they're not even intentionally doing it it's not like they're like maliciously going out i'm gonna sin i'm gonna do this but again we sin far too often than we would like to admit and okay i slipped into this again i fell into this this uh transgression i wasn't being careful enough and look at i've i've been caught in this sin 
Okay? So we can look at that that way more so. If anyone's caught, so it's not like they're necessarily intentionally going out. Maybe they are. I think both would apply. But here we go. In any transgression. So what type of sin is it specifying here? What sin is Paul addressing? So crossing the line in any behavior, ethics, morals. Point is, there's no specific sin called out. So what your point is, is crossing the line, transgressing against the law of God. So this is general. So if your brother or sister in Christ is caught in any transgression, any, he's not specifically calling out sexual sins or um, financial sins or any of the like. He's just simply going to the point that anyone's caught in a sin. You who are spiritual... So here's where now, especially we get the point into the believers. So he's writing to the church, right? Church in Galatia. You who are spiritual, referring to those who are believers, those who have the Holy Spirit, followers of God, those who claim to be followers of Christ. You who are spiritual. And what does it say? Should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So you have a brother caught in sin. What is, and then you have other brothers and sisters in Christ who see that this brother's caught in sin. What is their what is their goal? Restoration. And that key word there is what I want us to focus on and think about throughout the entire section of Galatians six. The goal here is restoration. To restore that person. I'll just skip ahead to the to the I was gonna say later. Restore them to Christ. Restore them in that good relationship, that right relationship with God. Now, we know none of that can be done apart from Christ, but that's the goal. To restore that person. They may be brought out of that sin, turned towards God. Okay? So, their goal is restoring him, but now, how do they do it? What's the last few words of that verse? How are they to restore him? In a spirit of gentleness. So this is directly calling out brothers and sisters in Christ to, hey, if your brother's caught in sin, you got to say something. you got to do something to help restore that person. But it right away clarifies it by saying, in a spirit of gentleness. So again, you're going to hear a repeat throughout this, but it's not just licensed to go out and be the sin police, shall we call it, and say, you sin, you sin, you sin, you sin, Right? Nor is it a license to be gossipy, to say, hey, he's caught in sin, check it out, right? It's not a license for either one of those things. Nor is it a license to think that you're superior than your brother. Because if anyone sins, likely we also too sin. We know that, we admit it, we all sin. So it's not saying that you're better than, it's not gossiping about them, it's not putting their stuff on a show for all other people to see, but there is a great duty as Christians here to look out for one another. To actually try to help one another to be restored in their relationship to God. And this is, we'll get to that stuff. Okay, so this is very important. And as your pastors, we love being your pastors. And if you come to us and we are aware of a sin that's going on, we want to talk about it with you. We want to work with you and pray about it and go to the word about it to help restore you. But it's not just us. It's you. It's you caring for each other to help each other restore, be restored in Christ. 
And all of, none of this can be done except apart from Christ, right? As pastors, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're doing it with prayer. We're going to the word of God. It's all rooted in God. But the point I'm trying to make is here we have very clearly in Scripture, it's not just the pastor's job to call out sin. Say, hey, you're stuck in sin. We got to talk about it. It's also your job, your duty, your Christian responsibility. Again, I did not just license you to go calling out sin left and right and be rude about it. It's to be done in a spirit of gentleness. Okay? This is what we do as a Christian body. Any thoughts? Just write that. I want to pause because I just took a long time on that first verse. I just want to stop for a second. Yeah. One second. No, that's a great point. Thank you for bringing that. It's not so, so the question and comment was more about, is the word caught in any transgression? It's not so much a, I caught you in the act. But it is more of a, you are caught, you are ensnared in this. Now, there's a little bit of the first in the fact that I'm not going to go digging into verse's life and say, well, where can I catch you in something? So in some aspects, you know, I did catch you in the fact that, okay, I saw that. I, I've witnessed this. I'm aware of this. But it's more to the second of your point that it's, she is caught, she's ensnared in this, and I'm aware of it. So now how can I help restore her in a spirit of gentleness? Thank you for bringing that up. That's a good point. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Don. Go ahead. To me, the gentleness is just the opposite of self-righteousness. In other words... Yeah, Don's point is that the spirit of gentleness is pretty much directly opposite of self-righteousness. That there's not going to be, if it's a true spirit of gentleness, it won't be this judgmental way about it. Good point. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think the point you're bringing up is is it matters the way we say it. So to kind of restate a little bit, like, if you come and say, hey, you're doing this, instantly our walls go up, right? But if you say, I am concerned, or, I mean, other different ways, or even a very good way also I've, I've heard about it and looked at it is asking questions. If we can come to a person and ask questions and see where they're at, what's going on. Because the other thing is, maybe we don't understand. And the key point you also reminded me that to say um, is that this all be done in relationship. That to have a relationship with someone is what allows for this channel of communication to happen. Because if I just met you on the street, I'm not coming up. Okay, if you walk down the busy city street, you can see sin, right? But how is it well, how, what kind of gentleness, how is it well received if I just go up to someone who's, I can see they're, they're in a sinful way, they're doing something sinful, that's not going to be well received. But if I have a relationship with someone, there I can talk to them. And here, going back, he talked about this, that first word, brothers. 
Because again, Paul has this relationship with the church in Galatia. There's this connection, this relationship that they've established. He's not just some guy writing to a church. I mean, there's a relationship. Again, what does that look like? I, I don't know. I mean, what I mean, what I mean by that is, what does your relationship look like with people to do this? I don't know. You have to pray about that and trust that you are doing this by the by praying about it in, in the spirit of gentleness. Now, is it possible that you could do this with all good intentions and pray about it and that God would use you and it be ill received? Yes. But also sometimes, maybe being confronted in our sin, we're not going to like it. And we may react poorly. Maybe we misjudged the situation, possibly. And it was not, not the right way to go about it. But to never address it. Especially when we're in this relationship. So you know these people and you have this person you're concerned about. Because what is the goal? Restoration. And we're not just talking about that they are happy. But restoration that be restored in Christ. That they will be restored in their relationship to God. And that also doesn't mean that they're going to be imperfect. That they're perfect. We're not trying to bring people to perfection here. But it's similar to what uh, Reverend Dr. Michael Ziegler was talking about in, in the message he gave for us a couple weeks ago. That we are pointing people back to Christ. It's not our duty to make make everyone perfect little Christians so that then they can go be in church. Not at all. But how do we, by the power of of the Spirit, help point people back to Christ, that they be restored? And then that they be pointed back to the Word of God, that the Word can continue to restore them. Because it's not us, but God working through us. I digress. Yeah. Yeah. Nathan came to David, right? And there, even, I mean, who knows, the relationship there, it's not like they were brothers, right? There was some kind of relationship established. Yeah, Rebecca? Right. Yeah, specifically here, he's looking at the, the brothers in Christ. And as um, we read briefly, but I want to get to is the household of faith. It's verse 10. He's talking about the household of faith. Now, do we also, though, we could also look at this in a part and see that it is also our desire to talk to others who are outside the faith and help guide them back towards God and Christ. But primarily this portion, yes, it's talking about the, those who are in Christ. Did that, were you going to say something? I think, yeah, I think, were you going to speak directly to that, Paul? Or is it, oh, I thought you had a hand up, sorry. Okay, I'm not putting you on the spot. I thought you had a hand up. Okay. She's right. This is for other Christians. Right. This is not for people who are trying to 
Right. And so, yeah, again, to your point, I, I would agree, like Paul's saying, this is primarily directed to Christians. My other point was just that I think we can take these same concepts and we look with other parts of Scripture, how God does talk to, tell us to go out to others who are not of the faith and caught in their sin and they don't know God in the Word, that we should also there have that whole spirit of gentleness with that as well. And that's where I'm saying the two tie together. But to your point, yes, this passage is primarily speaking about the Christians, the church. Mark? Go ahead. Finish. This passage is at the beginning because he says, you who are spiritual. Right. And I've never met a Christian who says, I'm spiritual. Hmm. But we have to remind ourselves that the fruits of the Spirit are the things that come out through because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and gentleness is one of them. Hmm. So we're functioning spiritually when we're doing this gentleness. Right, absolutely. And that's our reading today in worship. We get to the fruits of the spirits today in worship. The gentleness is one of those. Mark? Just, just a side note. My mind so quickly goes to the second table of the law when you read a passage like this. Right. But consider the first table of the law. A lot of times the, the brother becomes lax in terms of the divine service or God's word. Right. Thank. Sorry, did I, did I cut you off? I'm sorry. Uh, I think that's an excellent point. So repeat again. Mark brings up the fact that we're we can be led to think so much about the second table of the law, those transgressions uh, that are only on the second table, but there are transgressions of the first table. The first three, not keeping the Sabbath day, right? Uh, and not honoring God the way that we should, putting Him first in our life. And his point is that sometimes we neglect and we're, we're very hesitant, hesitant to address those, to call those out in gentleness and love. But I think, Mark, your point is that we should, right? According to this passage. It says in verse 1, if anyone is caught in any transgression, we are to, those who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I love this. I love discussion. This is great. Okay. I apologize for those on the radio. Maybe it's harder to hear, but I think you're getting the gist of it, hopefully. Um, so, uh, oh, we're so close on time. Okay. One, a couple of things I want to point out. Briefly, and then, you know what, we're just not going to get to the gospel today, because let's look at this, let's look at this epistle, okay? We're just, we're, we got to stay in this for a little bit. Okay, verse 2, it says, bear one another's burdens, okay? We look at verse 2 of Galatians chapter 6, and we have this bear one another's burdens, which is, back to a point similar to what Don made, this is just directly opposite of judging one another. Rather than judging them, take on their burdens to carry them with them. Put that other person before yourself, which those, here, those of you who are here at St. Paul's is very much addressed as we hear the word proclaimed from the pulpit today. Pastor Thomas talking about how we are free in Christ, free to serve, to put others first because of what Christ has done for us. And I think also it's, it's very, uh, this term burdens is very expansive. Uh, I mean, you can talk about all different kinds of burdens that people can carry. But one other thing I want to point out about that is the, the verb tense that's used here for bearing one another's burdens 
is in, this, is in a verb tense that implies to keep on carrying them. It's not just like, okay, I helped him out, I'm done, I'm good. But it's to continually keep on carrying your brother's burdens, to continually care for them. Which comes back to this whole point of a relationship. That you continually are there for each other in that relationship and bearing one another's burdens. Addressing the, the matters that need to be addressed together in a spirit of gentleness. Then verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Which if you read that at first, it's like, whoo. God's word just told me I am nothing. What we're talking about here, what Paul writes here, is he's talking about spiritually. Because spiritually speaking, we can never keep the law perfectly. We cannot keep his, his, his commands. So therefore, we are nothing. On our own, we cannot do it. We are, as it says here, nothing. But if anyone thinks he's something, he's, he deceives himself. Which again is another portion of this passage to get at the fact that as we are to address our brothers who are caught in sin, remember, we're nothing too. We too have sin in our lives. We are not to lord it over our brother when we realize that he is stuck in sin and we are trying to care for him. We too have our own sin. We too have our own ways in which we are caught, in which we are nothing. Okay. Um, trying to see where we're at. Okay. So, then let's skip down to verse uh, 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, Rebecca, thank you for, again, bringing that up. Because here, this verse, we get another um, clear indication, to your point, that this is talking about those in the church. The household of faith. But I also really appreciate this, this description here, because we're a household of faith. We so often, you hear people throwing around the words, I've done it plenty of times, where we're, the, we're the family and faith. Here we are, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a household. And as a household, again, houses are, households are unfortunately far too broken today than we'd like them to be. But the household that God desires, and we look at spiritually that in, in God, in His Spirit, is a, is a household that works together, that cares for each other. And even if you then use this other use this metaphor a little further, you think about, okay, if you have siblings, you might tell them, hey, we don't do that. They may not like when you say that, right? But hopefully as siblings, you have this, this relationship because you can say to him or say to her, hey, we don't do that. That's not the way that we, we do things. Because you have that relationship, which then we can take into our household of faith, our spiritual family here, where we can say to our brothers and sisters in Christ, hey, that's not the way we are to live. That's not what we do. As Christians. Because hopefully it's all rooted in that spirit of gentleness again. Alright. Any other questions or thoughts on that one? That we could talk more. Like I said, I'm very much excited about that portion of scripture next week. I think in part two, I should say, I'm, I'm excited to hear that. Because I think this is something very much the church at large really needs to be reminded of. That it's not just the pastor's responsibility to call out sin. It's all of us as Christians. And especially when, as I think Mark especially brought it up, it's not just when it's easy or convenient for us. This is not going to be easy. Well, that was the other point I was going to make. This is not going to be easy. To address these things with your brother or sister in Christ, it's not going to be easy. It's not, and also, it's not going to be quick. 
Here's where we go. Verse 10, this household of faith. Okay? Do good to everyone, especially those who are a household of faith. It meaning that it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be quick. It's going to take some time. And it's going to demand of us, as it says in verse 10, that we do good to everyone. Even to those who do us wrong. But this is simply our Christian duty. And which goes back to, again, when you talk about who are we to, to do this together as our Christian brothers and sisters. It's not just, oh, I saw, I saw Jan did something. Well, yes, we're in the Christian family together. But we're in this relationship and it might take time. And it might even take time for me to even bring up the issue that's going on. The sin that she's caught in. Maybe it takes a little time of, of just talking about some other things first. And then you get to the core hard issue and you have to say it real blunt. Hey, this is not right. We don't do this. I don't know what it looks like. I can't write a script for you. I wish I could. I wish someone could write me a script. Because that would be nice, right? But we don't know what this always looks like. But we know that through prayer, that by the Holy Spirit guiding us in this process, this is what we are to do. Okay, we have like one minute left. Are there any thoughts or questions on this? I know I didn't get to the gospel. If I have complaints on the radio, I apologize. I just think it's necessary to spend time on this one today. Next week's gospel is from Luke chapter 10, the first 20 verses. Uh, so that's, that's a lot of verses. I didn't want to slam through that in one minute because that wouldn't be respectful of, of the word either. Uh, but in those 20 verses, you have the sending of the 72 uh, disciples. So let's just close our time together with a word of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, thank you for this time to, to be in your word together. As brothers and sisters in Christ. As this household of faith that you have created. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you have claimed each and every one of us as your own. You've marked us as your child. Now, Lord, as your children, we pray that you would continue to guide us, to strengthen us and protect us as we go out into this world. As we are constantly surrounded by temptation and things that will challenge us and, and try to pull us away from you, Lord. But may we stay strong in you, that your spirit would keep us strong in the faith. And yes, Lord, may you also enable us by your spirit of gentleness to confront our brothers and sisters in the ways that you would guide us and you would use us, that we would do so in gentleness to restore them and restore us in that relationship with you. And so, Lord, we pray these things and all things to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.